When was the last time you saw three so-called powerhouses lose on two days in the UEFA Champions League? That must be a tough question for Paris Saint-Germain, Manchester United, and Arsenal because they lost to Newcastle United, Galatasaray, and Lens respectively on Wednesday and Tuesday. Welcome back to CGTN Sports Talk. I am Li Xiang, and I'm and I am glad to be joined by my colleague Josh here. Good to be back. So. I remember when I was young, this was called the UEFA Champions League because it was literally played by only champions, yeah, who are supposed to be the best teams of their leagues. And after these two days, I'm not so sure anymore, especially with you know PSG. Right, that's I mean that's been European football for a long time. Now it used to be the Cup Winners' Cup. Then when it was the Champions League, it was just the champions. Now it's filtered down, but also. With expanding, you give the champions of say Denmark and other countries like that a chance to get in. You hear that that weakens the field, but in general, you are right. Like I look at these these teams, and like it isn't just a case of、uh, champions versus non-champions or big leagues versus small leagues. Consider the money that's being spent by PSG, by Arsenal,、uh, by Manchester United, and then compare that to Lens, compare that to everyone else. I mean. Yes, Newcastle United are big boys now, but they're still not compared to the decade plus of investment that PSG have had. And yet, here we are, where all three of them lose, and all three of them lose in ways where it's simply a case of the other team, the smaller team, just simply had more effort. Exactly. So, who do you blame the most for PSG's four-one loss against Newcastle, Kylian Mbappe, or their manager Enrique? I mean, honestly, I blame the crowd、mm-hmm. because、um, when that game was beginning on the feed, I had、um, the commentator was saying about how it's a big night in Europe and、uh, Newcastle are back,、um, and when they hear that theme, they know it's one of the biggest nights of their careers. And I couldn't hear the theme because the crowd was so loud, and you could see throughout that first half. The St James's Park Arena was so loud and so obviously supporting the home team that PSG just looked confused. They looked rattled. Like going back to the question you asked specifically,、um, I would say Mbappe was the weakness because every time the camera cut to him, he just just looked confused, out of place, kind of nervous. Like he's meant to be your star player. He's meant to be the guy. Taking you all the way to your finals, he's won so much for his for his country for his club so far, and then you put him in like a cauldron like this, and he just had no idea what to do seemingly. And then you also had Luis Enrique, who set the team up in this particular like、uh, kind of four four two staggered formation, but it made like on the right, for example, Dembele just ran in a straight line every time he got the ball. And it wasn't until like the seventieth minute that he got any chance to do anything with it. Now, by that point, it was because the other players of、uh, Newcastle had burned themselves out. But you just saw a lack of ideas and also like a lack of confidence because, you know, this is a Champions League group stage. Yes, very important. It's not a final, and yet the way that the St James Park was so loud and so rocking for this game, PSG just had no idea how to handle that.、Mm-hmm. Do you think that it was? It's such a horrible decision that he decided to put four strikers on the field: Mbappe, Dembele, Muani, and Gonzalo Ramos. Like, is was Enrique trying to copy his style of playing or managing whatever you call it of Barcelona to PSG? 
Yeah, it was weird because they just didn't seem to have enough people in the midfield to supply the people up front. And then that continued all the way through. I mean, he only made two substitutions in the entire thing. One was to Randall Colomani, who was the uh, striker up front. Mm -hmm. So you have this scenario where he's expecting his star players to obviously bang in all these goals because they are all great players individually, but they were getting no service from Zaire Emery or Ugarte. They simply couldn't move. And I mean... You know, going back to saying about Mbappe, there were massive portions of this game where he was just doing nothing at all, just like left on an island, out on his own, out on the left wing. And yes, you can kind of do that with a player like him because he is so nimble, he is so quick, he is so good at his positioning that he can turn the game on its head immediately after doing nothing at all. I mean, that's basically what happened. You know, that was the story of the World Cup final for getting France back into the game. But when he is spending massive portions, like, not on camera because the ball is the other end. The ball heading back the other way without any service, just on his own, walking around. That's a sign that you need to get more going on in your midfield and the ball move forward in a better way. And instead, you know, this is a thing with uh, Luis Enrique. When his tactics fail, he almost doubles down on it. He won't admit they were wrong. He won't switch up to a plan B. So what happened was, is you're getting into these the latter half of the stage and Dan Byrne is just destroying Dembele because he knows exactly what he's going to do every single time. Uh, Fabian Scher was not letting uh, Colomwani do anything. And then by pinning those two on one side, Ramos and Mbappe had nothing on the other side. So if we could see on the TV, and he's the manager, he should be doing something about it. And instead, he just committed to his game plan over and over and over again. Yes, they did get that nice goal towards the end. That's from Luca Hernandez making a very clever run. The actual strikers he was expecting to do something, they were just locked out of the game. True. Do you think Mbappe is kind of, okay, this might be a weird word, too lazy with development as a player? Because I can tell he is very satisfied with this talent he has. He's fast, he's tall, he's unstoppable in transition. But he's not trying to, I don't know, learn to play like Renato, learn to pivot. Because mm. now, like, of course, he is good. But when his tricks don't work or when he is made to play the role of, let's say, Lionel Messi in Barcelona to play like a playmaker, he couldn't do it. And yeah. He, he's not trying to make a change. Yeah, that, that's the thing which I would, you know, the it was raining yesterday in Newcastle, so it was difficult to really see. But towards the end of the game, I think which I did notice is like the Newcastle players, they were tired, you know, uh, rosy cheeks, puffing hard, really blowing when they're running into the box, mm-hmm. really like sweaty and stuff. Mbappe didn't look like he was sweating at all. He barely looked like he was even doing anything beyond uh, a warm-up that you do in training because... You are right. If the game doesn't go his way, he does nothing to try and get into it. It's almost as if they just go 10 men down when they can't play the Mbappe style. And it's one thing to be like that when you have Neymar and you have Messi and you have all these other star players around you. But that was the idea of like, okay, that's like a two up front and then Messi a little bit further behind. You have all these other players doing important work. Now everything is on Mbappe. He's too big a star. He's too big a name. He's scored too many goals. He's gone to too many finals. You know, done so much to be like this club's man. For him to be in this position where he doesn't grab a game by the scruff of the neck and get back into it. Instead, he's just waiting for his chance. And when it reaches the 70th, 80th, 90th minute, and that chance hasn't arisen, you're meant to force yourself into the game to make those chances happen. And instead, 
like, yeah, he was just out on the wing, just doing nothing. Like, laziness might be a little bit of a crude way of phrasing it, but that's exactly how he comes across in games like this.、Mm-hmm. And talking about playing with one man down, I first I think the most like who do you think the most important guy in a football game is? Should it be striker? But if strikers don't score, is at most a Draw? Is it midfielder or backs? No, no, no. If they say allow the opponents to go through too smoothly, they're still the goalkeeper. But when the goalkeeper makes the worst、yeah. mistake, and that's why I'm talking about the two losses suffered by Man United and Arsenal, because、mm-hmm. their goalkeeper, their goalies were so disappointing in the two games. Yeah, if we can transfer to the Manchester United game, Andre Onana is、yeah. an absolute disaster for that team. How many times did we say about that? Yeah, because that's the thing. For all the time we've criticised David de Gea, we can at least say a good good things he has done over、mm-hmm. the time. He does have good reflexes. He is great at covering the goal mouth. He is great、uh, coming out and like closing down players who are on, in one on ones. Everything Onana did in this game was the opposite of what it seemed like he was supposed to do. Closed down at the wrong time, hung back at the wrong time. Just everything was a complete mess. And the thing is, you can see that transferring into、um, the rest of the players because you know Rafa Varane and Lindelof at the back, they are playing with like their heads on a swivel because they can't trust Onana to keep just keep in his goal to actually be a goalkeeper. So. That makes them awkward. That makes them basically f- impossible to play as centre backs, and that transfers all the way up the pitch. And then when you're playing against a team like Galatasaray, which it's full of players like, well, besides for Wilfred Zaha, who loves going back to United and scoring against them, you have Angelino, who I believe was a Manchester City player and then rejected by Pep Guardiola. You have Mario Icardi, who never really got his chance at PSG. Dries Mertens was a second striker. He came on a little bit later on. It's a team full of these like second chance players, not really willing to give up and go to the MLS, but they know for a fact they're making big money and not really doing much in、uh, the Turkish Super League. So when they get a chance to play a big team like Manchester United at Old Trafford, they're just going to go and go and go. And that was the thing with that first goal with、uh, with Zaha. Wasn't a fantastic goal by any means, but he just bludgeoned right the way through Varane. I think it was. It was either Varane or Diego Dallo, and took that one or two extra steps. Just made sure he got the last touch on it, and then Onana just had no idea what he was doing, and it went over his head. And that was just the nature of the game. It's like the first goal that they scored by Rasmus Hjoland. Zaha responds six minutes later. Hjoland gets his next one. Four minutes later,、um, Akatolu gets it. Like it's simply a case of this is a United side where they're playing at home and they seem like easy pickings.、Mm-hmm. Galatasaray never seemed out of this game, and yeah, Onana for me seemed like the reason why because it felt like he, it felt like they were playing a game where just if they got into the box,、mm-hmm. they felt like they could have a chance, and you don't see that against a top flight goalkeeper at all. That's true, and I don't want to just say that Onana should take all the blame because the rest of the team, I don't think. Except Holland, he scored、yeah. two goals and became the youngest player of United, I think, to do that. But the rest of the team, like Mason Mount, what exactly was his role on the field?、Mm. Yeah, that, that's it. While we are trashing this team for being terrible, I do want to say Rasmus Hoyland was incredible. Like,、yeah. that was a real like 
Not because the thing with Hoyland is there's this belief that he was a star in Serie A, but he is still very young. He is fairly rough around the edges. And that's what Ten Hag is great at. That was why his Ajax team was so good. So he comes into this team, and the, like I said, the expectation is he's not going to be the star yet, but he will be soon. And then looking at him in this game, he was by far and away like the, the, the star of the team. Like That second goal in particular, when you saw on the replay, that to me was the kind of goal you see from like a Ronaldo or someone, because in the slow motion, his posture is upright, his right arm is holding off the defender, He's giving the eyes to the keeper while keeping his head up so he knows exactly where he's going, takes the perfect steps, and then bangs it right in. That level of composure, that level of skill, like, yes, he is young, but if that's a diamond in the rough, he's going to be a diamond sparkling by the end of the season. And yet, it's in this team, which is just an absolute disaster. Like you say, Mason Mount, I guess he's meant to be a kind of floating midfielder, pushing up to offer support when they move forward. But instead, what happens is... Casemiro's old, Mount moves forward, there's just massive space, and Galatasaray are just get, sending the ball through, not even with direct play, just like, just send the ball deep, just kick it as hard as you can, lads, and it'll go right through the middle. And that's also a thing with Casemiro, the amount of times now he's been sent off or getting these yellow cards, because mm-hmm. it just bludgeons into players as like a last line of defence, and that's fine. Um, like Javier Mascherano used to be known for that, but he would do it in a way where, okay, it's the last line of defence and he'd power into them, but he'd always make sure he got the ball first. With Casemiro, he looks like one of those players, and you see this fairly often where, like, Sergio Ramos and David Luiz are the two that come to mind immediately, where in their pomp, they're kind of a maverick, and that means they can kind of play in a free style and they can get away with it. But when they get a little bit old and they lose a step, they just cause too many mistakes. And that's what I'm seeing from Casemiro basically every single game. That's true. I don't really think that United actually counted him to do so much when they signed him. But now that he's here, yeah. he's like... I mean, not in this game, apparently, but he was, I, to me, one of the best performing players in United roster, and he had to do so much, both offensively and defensively, and finally, the red card, or the second yellow card in this game, he was like, okay, I had enough of it, I don't want to do mm-hmm. everything, now I'm just gone. Yeah, that's it, when you bring in a veteran player like that, the idea is, like, they do what they're good at, and that's that, whereas he has basically just become this, like, this holding midfielder who does a bit of everything. Mm -hmm. And he was great at that previously, but now, you know, when it doesn't go his way, when he's a little bit slow, when it's like it was in uh, Manchester, again, raining, slick surface, quite simply, he doesn't have it anymore. And not only that, but you can, I feel like I can see he's annoyed at his fellow players because that second goal with like Amrabat, where he just didn't track back at all. So Ilmaz got past him and passed it across to uh, Atoglu. It was just a case of like, you know, may, maybe I'm reading too much into things, but when the when they just went past and Amrabat didn't do anything, Casemiro just like just looked at him like, what are you even doing on this pitch? Like mm-hmm. he just seemed furious, and I think that partly inspired what happened next, when he just clatters into um, clatters into the guy on the way through. Mm-hmm, that's true. And for Arsenal, Reyes, that passed exactly to the opponents was why they lost their lead. Do you think that's a mistake, like worse than Onana's? Yeah, this was a this was a weird game because the thing is with Lance is like the team that like I don't know anything about, and it isn't just me saying that. Like on the TV, they some 
some pundits calling them Lens, some kept getting the fuse with Leon. Um, they're the second best team in League One apparently, but you know, mm-hmm. no one can name any of their players. And I get the feeling that you know, I'm saying that as if like, well, we haven't done our research and that's a problem because it, it is. But it also felt like Arsenal FC went into this assuming they were nobodies and could be easily rolled over. When instead they treated it like a massive knife for their club, which it is. And, you know, Gabriel Jesus got that first goal very quickly. And from there, Arsenal, to me, just seemed to look as if, like, okay, that's fine. We can handle it. And then when Bukayo Saka got injured and had to go off, um, and was replaced by Fabio Vieira, you could see Lance just thought, okay, well, their star player's injured. We're 1-0 down. What have we got to lose? And then just work these fantastic goals where they're just picking pockets, running straight, running in basically a straight line. Um, Eli Wahi involved in both goals. That first one was a beauty set off for Adrian Thomason. And then from there, like Arsenal just seemed on the back foot. Like it really did seem as if nobody expected Lance to do anything. Mm-hmm. And that caught everyone out. And not only that, but going talking about keepers, um, their keeper Sambo was absolutely fantastic. The amount of goals were like, if he didn't have those instincts, and let's be honest, and if he didn't get as lucky as he did in some of those goal mouth scrambles, Arsenal win that by maybe four, maybe five. But he was so nimble, dropped to the floor exactly when he needed to make sure any of those tap ins didn't go in, always in the perfect spot. Like, he kept that team alive. And in doing so, it was the inverse of the United situation where that fired up his squad, I think. Yeah. And they they went and, you know, got the upset of the night. That's true. And when, say, you, if you had to rely on Saka so much, what's the point of investing so much to sign Kai Havers? And he had to start yeah. in every game. Still, like Mason Mount, I didn't know exactly what he was doing on the field, except, you know, helping the opponents uh, score more easily, maybe. Well, the thing is with Havertz is, you know, there was that game that they won at the weekend where when Odegaard won a penalty, they gave it to Havertz to to make sure he had a goal the season. And then when he scored it, Odegaard basically pushed him down to the uh, away end of the pitch so he would celebrate with the fans. And that made me feel like, okay, Havertz isn't... Basically, the rest of the players know Havertz isn't fitting in and doing anything. But then I thought to myself, okay, well, if if he gets his goal, breaks his duck, gets out there, celebrates with the fans, maybe that'll boost his confidence again. And then you're right, he's in this in the in the Havertz position, I guess. It's, he's been there at Chelsea's now here at Arsenal. He used to do I think it was a Wolfsburg in the uh, Bundesliga. And it just doesn't seem to do anything. He just does diagonal runs that don't lead anywhere. He just runs directly into defenders. Um, he's just, I don't know, I, like, that's it. I want to say, of course, Mikel Arteta, Thomas Tuchel know a lot more about football than I do. If they can see this guy's a genius, maybe there's something going on. But when I see him on the pitch, I just don't get it. And having to take Saka off and then be basically reliant on Havertz for a while, and then in the 17th minute replacing with Emil Smith-Rowe, who immediately made an impact... I don't know what the future is going to be for Havertz, but he really seems to me like one of the biggest flops in the league right now. That's true. And I think so much for today. Thank you for listening. Hopefully we'll be hearing from you guys very soon next week. See ya. Speak to you then. Bye-bye.